Film Pulse is supported by the kind donations from listeners like you. Please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash filmpulse for just $1 a month and help keep the podcast on the air. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 252. My name is Adam Patterson. I'm joined today by Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm pretty good. This week on the show, we'll be talking about Carson D. Mel's Another Evil, which is now available on video on demand. We have a topic of the week to discuss alongside someone we've been watching on the watch list, along with a roundup of new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Remember, you can join in on the conversation by sending us an email at podcast at filmpulse.net or sending a tweet to at filmpulse.net. I think we can just safely jump into our review. What do you say? Did you see, just really quickly, the results of the French elections are in? Did you see that? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, some good news for once, I think. Indeed. Thank God we don't have another terrible, terrible leader in the world. (laughs) Uh, Everyone's doing it right, making us look... (laughs) Well, a lot of people are theorizing... A lot of people are theorizing that... The, friend, the, the people of France looked at this election that we had, and we basically made an example of it. Well, that, and, and we're like... It, just take a look, too, the way that the, the French press and everything handled the Macron leaks. Oh, yeah, that, that was the other thing I was going to mention. Is they were just like, mm, fuck that. Yeah. Not They're like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to fuck with this election. Yeah. And, you know, with America, you have 278 different goddamn political websites that are all trying jockeying for positions so mm-hmm. they'll cover anything and everything yep well let's cover some movies let's do that that's what we do i think we we we, we get to the the hard-hitting core of society <laughs> we dabble with film dabble. Uh, so we're talking about another evil i have a synopsis here After encountering a ghost in his family's vacation home, Dan, a modern artist, and his wife, Mary, hire an industrial-grade exorcist named Oz to get rid of the beings. But Dan soon realizes that ridding the home of evil won't be as simple as it seems. Mm. Uh, Kevin, what did you think of another evil? Um, Man, I was was pretty into this early on. Early on, I got, it hooked me. And I was like, hell yeah, this, here we go. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I've been missing. I could use a good horror comedy type deal, right? Mm-hmm. I had, it had my nice blend of, you know, the comedy that I like. It had, you know, when it gets you with that first kind of like, kind of like a jump scare, but the, you know, the first time that you see like one of these ghosts or spirits or whatever it is, you know, there was some, uh, there was some creativity there and it freaked me out. And I was like, oh mm-hmm. shit, yes, here we go. And then um, it just ignored me for the longest time and just didn't really do much of anything. And then it kind of it kind of tried to tried to ramp it up towards the end there. But I, I don't know that that ending felt a little felt a little flat to me. I, th- I really thought that they were building towards something because we were kind of we weren't really doing much up until then. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to build to this like huge crescendo. And it's just going to be all out insanity. And I got to admit, like, part of it was from the, you know, what I saw in the first, you know, 15 minutes or 
whatever it was and the poster for this movie where it's kind of this like head with all this shit hanging from the mouth and stuff and i was just like i'm thinking okay this is going to be bad shit insane mm-hmm. and i keep you know i'm hanging in there i'm like just hang in kevin it's going to get bad shit insane i can feel it it feels like it's going to go that way but it it, it just didn't no it, just, it felt i mean i it's an all right movie but it's just it was really it was kind of disappointing and it's yeah it's satisfying yeah i will agree it's definitely a slow burn and the the finale didn't really it didn't really wow me either i wasn't that impressed with how it ended particularly um the, the one poster is really good. The one that you mentioned with the, the mouth with the like tendrils. Yeah. Uh, and then the other poster is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so which, is, I don't... which is what I didn't understand. Like when uh, I can't remember what podcast was. I don't know if it was the last one we did or the, the one before that where you kind of brought it up. And I saw the poster that you're talking about where, you know, it's really it's terrible looking. Is I mean, this looks like it has absolutely no budget and it's made with non-actors. And I just, you know, when I saw that poster, I was just like, really? Oh, God, this is not going to be good. And then I read a little bit about it and stuff, and I was like, okay. It's just, I guess they're going for a little bit of comedy with that poster. They're trying to make it look like a bad film, I guess. I don't know. I would say that it's more, uh, it is more of a comedy than, than a horror. The the horror elements oh. are very, very sparse. Oh, they're in, like- fact, in fact, most of the movie, you're just trying to figure out if, this Oz character, Mark Proksh, is if he's just a fraud. Like you, you just you don't really know if he's even the real deal or if he's just some sort of sad, broken man that is, you know, uh, uh, basically a, a charlatan. Yeah. And 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 then what? Ha- it's it's really interesting because then like something happens where I don't think this is a big spoiler, but uh, they f- they discover that there's more than one ghost haunting their house and he supposedly captures the first one. So yeah. then they're on this high and then it sort of develops into, it reminded me of cable guy in a lot of ways Yeah, yeah. where this, this kind of eccentric character just won't seem to leave Steve's. This is alone because he himself is going through some, some major shit. He's getting a divorce and he's got all these problems and he's just, really craving i mean I, I feel like he's a really lonely guy and he's just craving this companionship and he's just taking everything a little bit too far mm-hmm. and i like that i like that dynamic in in movies i liked it in cable guy i liked it in this but i, I liked in this one too that it, it, the begins the beginning stages of that steve right. is, is he's on board too he's like yeah this is kind of cool you know we're he's he's getting a break from his family you know and he's getting well, to kind of lead this like bachelor life where you know they're drinking and they're catching ghosts. I mean, that sounds great. I would enjoy a weekend of that of catching ghosts and drinking. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So he's like he's right on board. You know, like you said, they're coming off the high of catching the first one, and he's learning about ghosts and how to catch them and what you need to do, and it's all super interesting and everything. And then it kind of like you said, he's he's a sad man. And he's he's really amped up on this. Like I'm I'm getting a friend out of this, and of course he takes it a bit too far. But during that stretch too, is they spend so much time on that with like there's no I mean there's humor bits here and there, but there's not a lot. 
because a lot yeah. of the humor that was there in the beginning kind of drops off. Yeah, I would and, say it is pretty light on the, and, on the comedy as well. Yeah, and all the the horror stuff is gone. That's just out the window, or I should say, in the three boxes. It's just there's no <laughs> yeah. horror for like a large stretch of this movie, and you're just like, okay, what what are we really doing now? Right, and I feel like it would have benefited from more kind of supernatural occurrences taking place to to sort of make them to sort of reestablish the fact that they're that they are up against an actual entity here, and just just to sort of keep them in line because it, it like you said, at, at one point the ghosts just kind of disappear, and you're just like left with these two guys in this house, and it. And Steve Ziss is a he does at one point try to get rid of him, but if in order for this thing to to work, there would have to be at least something to keep them going. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there wasn't enough there to keep us going with them as well. well. Yeah, and even if okay, if you're going to have the horror elements just completely drop off, where there's no really interaction with the ghost, like at least keep the comedy. Can we at least keep some comedy? But there, I mean. To me, it just—it seemed like the comedy dropped off too. Yeah, it definitely did. It, it definitely took a darker, more serious tone after he started. After Oz started acting way more clingy and creepy, it, yeah, that's that's where the comedy sort of dropped off. And it, and it, see the the way that it's structured, you at the beginning you have Steve Zissis, uh, his character encountering these spirits. So he knows right off the bat that this isn't just something fake. So it'd be one thing if the entire movie you were feeling like, is this house even really haunted? Is this, is this for real? Is what is, what's going on here? But we know, and they establish right off the bat that indeed there is a spirit here. There is something going on in this house. We've seen it. He sees it. Everybody knows that it's happening. Yeah. So it's not like you have that kind of guessing game where you're like, oh, who's who? Who's the real evil one here? Is it these ghosts or is it this Oz character? Yeah. You know, because Dan Baggerfeld says right off the bat. I mean, he gives you a rundown of what's going on with these ghosts, and he seems pretty. You know, he seems like he's he's pretty confident of his reading. What did he call him? Ambivalent. Yeah, they're ambivalent. <laughs> they're just ambivalent. They're good ghosts. And I like how they just let that go. They're just like, okay. And I love how he kind of points it out to him. Like, you should actually be really happy. This is really special. It's something that you get to share in the house with these ghosts. That I mean, one of the ghosts is, there's something there that we, we don't really ever find out. And no one really remarks on either. Like, why is half of his face missing and replaced with tendrils bleeding? bleeding tendrils like that seems like something that we should discuss or maybe that's what i was trying to figure out what's that's what i was confused about there's there's one scene where he encounters one in his bed and it has this kind of thing coming out of it like of course it's like some sort of like viper penis thing it's like a it's like a tentacle or something coming out of it was that because they kept calling it a she, like it was a woman ghost. Was that the woman ghost? Because it looked like a guy. Yeah, that's. I never really understood either because the first ghost that you see is just a normal looking woman just yeah. wandering the house. And then the next guy, the bottom half of his face is missing and it's replaced with bloody tendrils. And then out of nowhere, I guess another ghost just like stumbled into the house and he's got like a viper tentacle thingy 
for a penis. I don't know. Yeah, that was... that's what confused me because they kept saying that it was a an old woman, but I was like, it's, it didn't look like an old woman. It looked like a guy in, in the bed. Yeah, I have no so idea. I was a little confused as to how many apparitions there were. Which one, like, did they catch, did they actually catch the, the mouth tentacle guy in the box? Because yeah. I think he disappeared. He didn't shoot. He shows up later. Does he show up later? Is yeah. he the one that gave, yeah. did, did the thing yeah. at the end? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was the woman that did that at the end or if it was. So maybe they didn't, they didn't probably, probably didn't catch anything. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they just caught the normal looking woman that just wanders around. She just stumbled on a box. One of the things I like the most about these movies, and I'm going to talk about this again later in the uh, watch list section, because I saw another movie called uh, A Dark Song that deals with this as well. Is I like the procedural aspect of it. I like all the different <laughs> strange little traps and gadgets he has, well, and that, I would like to. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more well, of that. It starts <laughs> like, off so strong because when they call in, you know, they have the encounters, right? There's kind of the Steve Zizza's encountering the ghost and it's kind of incremental. And it, to me that worked really well because when he finally sees the apparitions, it's like, Oh shit. You know, it kind of catches you. And then Dan back it all shows up and he does his reading, which, you know, it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. guy. <laughs> it is, yeah. That was funny. And then, you know, he ends up going to meeting with uh, Steve little who gives him the name of Oz and then when Oz shows up and does all of his, you know, he gets out all of his gadgets and everything he's going through. All that is hilarious. You know, where he's kind of, I just love his attitude towards to the ghost when he's, you know, we kind of points out like, oh, the paint on the wall, they did that. And he's like, of course they did fucking assholes. Just the fact that he, he thinks ghosts are assholes. Yeah. He was a funny character. And, and I, I th- that was the one thing. One of the reasons I wanted to watch this is because I, I think that he's a really funny actor. And then it seems like as soon as they catch, they catch that first one, they just they suck all the life out of the movie. And I, I like the one scene when he was setting up the one. He's like, and Steve Zissis was like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to participate now. And he's like, Are you sure, dude? This one uses magnets. <laughs> and I love his second one with the lights, the strobing lights and everything. He turns <laughs> off the lights and it's going. It's playing like the house music. And he's like, Ah, oh, that's gonna make me sick. <laughs> He just turns it off and leaves it. Yeah, I liked all that stuff, and I wanted, I did want more of that. That kind of just weird goofball ghost catching stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I just with the the finale, I I just don't know if I really bought it. Like, I just don't know if I really bought that it could go where it went. Yeah, I I mean, it's somewhat I can because you see, I think he. At that point in time, maybe he's trying to he's trying to prove himself to himself, but also to um, Steve Zissa's character. You know, and I know well, you know, at first, you know it, what I mean, like if he if he if he's able to cleanse this house, is he, if he's able to pull this off, then they're going to be best buds forever. Well, and also like at first when he sort of made his discovery, I thought that that was like legit, and I was like, oh man, this is this is actually kind of cool because it's tying into, you know, a conversation they had before and the type of artwork that he does and all of this stuff. And I was like, Oh man, that, that's, that's going to be really cool if they kind of tie it all together. But you know, they, where they go with it was, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I understand. Yeah. It, it, it kind of, it kind of got familiar at that point in time. It's just like, Oh, 
okay, this is how it's going to play out. And the, and again, at that point in time, you're just like, okay, I have, I'm about 98% sure how it's going to go from here. And guess what? I was 100% right. Yeah, I was too. Overall, uh, I know I have a lot of criticisms with it, but overall, I, I don't think it's a bad film. I it just it was just a little disappointing for me, uh, especially in the latter, like yeah, the, especially it, the final act. Well, especially considering it starts off so strong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get. I mean, for me at least, I I, I was right there. Like, okay, this is this is going to be one of those surprises of the year. I'm going to end up loving this fucking thing. I can feel it. And then it didn't it didn't reciprocate. You know. Yeah, I think it was also a very ugly film i didn't think it looked good at all oh really i, th- I mean i thought there was a couple, couple yeah things. I, I think they i think he did a good job of uh capturing like the geometry of the house and some of the framing and stuff well, but outside of that i mean yeah. yeah i just i didn't think it looked good from a like a technical perspective like i don't know what kind of cameras they were using but it just didn't i don't know it, did, it didn't look great to me i just the, the main thing that i kept thinking was oz isn't digging deep enough for any of the things that he's doing, all the stu- all the stuff that he's trying to bury, he's not digging deep enough. Shallow graves. And just like Oz, I don't know. I think you want to bury that box deeper. You know what I mean? If it really is a demon, if yeah, it's an if actual you, yeah. demon, and if you're saying don't let it touch your body, which he touched it a lot, <laughs> putting the the thing around it. So I don't know if maybe like there's there's residue, like demon residue, that's got in his pores, maybe. And maybe that's what's affecting him. Maybe. Or maybe it's that he's an alcoholic because... He does. That, he does that like, is definitely a factor, I think. Yeah, he does like to drink. But I think after a certain point in time, if you're dealing with demons, catching demons and stuff, I would I would be surprised if you weren't drinking all the time. Well, I think that that is definitely a, th- a kind of a through line that in a lot of these types of, of movies and shows where there's like, the 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 kind of troubled soul who's the the demon hunter or the ghost catcher but they're yeah. always like alcoholics or have drug problems or something they're always very tortured yeah and i think they always they always kind of throw that in as like the misdirect could be know? yeah yeah do we really trust this guy because damn back to all that guy it seemed like he was he was full on yoga gluten free yeah <laughs> oh my god i loved his communications with you just hear him yelling and he comes back down in the living room he's just drenched in sweat and i love his his arizona iced tea tall boy that he's chugging while he's checking out the house it is sure i love that he's wearing the cutoff no sleeve no sleeve cut off sweatpants you know i'd say it's this is still worth a look I, i would say give it a look uh it's yeah, like just, seven seven bucks to rent on Amazon. Just lower those expectations a little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right, what are you going to give another evil out of ten? I'd give it like a six. All right, I'm going to go with a... Eh, I'm sitting between a five and a half and a six on this one. Somewhere around there. I, just, I was really hoping for this, like, you know, balls to the wall crescendo at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just really thought that they were working towards that because they were taking such a slow burn effect, you know, approach to it. And I thought, oh man, it is gonna get out of control because you're gonna have the you're gonna have the demons and you're gonna have the straight up ghost assassin losing his mind. You know, 
it's gonna be it's gonna be a clusterfuck. That's what I was hoping for. I yeah. was hoping for just this crazy all out brawl. That's what I was yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right, so that's another evil. Again, that is on VOD platforms right now. Let's move on and then go into our watch list. This is going to segue into a topic I wanted to discuss this week. Uh, I wanted to talk about a video game I played this week. And for those of you that that listen to the show, you may know that I'm a pretty avid video gamer as well as a movie buff. I like to play some some video games from time to time. And one game that I played earlier this week struck me in such a way that I felt the need to to review it on the on the website so I actually wrote a review of this I have only written maybe two or three video game reviews on the website I tr- I try to really stay on focus with the site and keep things to the world of cinema but sometimes a game will come out that I feel blurs the lines to such a degree that a film site can talk about it and the, the game that I played is called what remains of Edith Finch and it is a sort of an interactive narrative about this this girl who goes back to her family home after many years and sort of goes through the empty house and as she goes through and explores the house we learn about the troubled past of her family and the way that <laughs> the method of storytelling is so unique and so special that it just, it grabbed me in such a way that like I was just blown away with, with how it was presented. So you go from room to room and area to area going through the house and you find like little objects from the past and different relics from different family members. And as it turns out, this family, the Finch family is sort of cursed where every person in the family has died in a tragic way. And as you discover like diary entries and different things from each family member, you are essentially transported into the last moments of that person's life. And you play out the last moments in that person's life and you learn how they died. And each family, each family member, they, they died at different ages and stuff like uh, one, one of them, for example, was, uh, she was a teenager. She was like 16. And the way that the story is presented, it's like an, uh, an, a comic book where it's like a, an old issue of tales from the crypt where you have like the crypt keeper narrating the story and it goes from like panel to panel, but you're playing as the girl and it turns into this kind of horror, uh, story, uh, about how she was killed. And then another one, you were this, uh, I think he was like, maybe 10 or 12 years old and he's on a swing set and you push him on the swing set or like you're controlling him, you know, pumping his legs on the swing set and something terrible happens to him. And then another one, you're a a baby. You're a very, very tiny infant in a bathtub and you're playing in the bathtub and something terrible happens to this, this baby. So it's a very emotionally charged game. I mean, it's like, Oh God! It is heavy, dude. It is That's a heavy, the, heavy game. I don't, I don't know. Like but as, the way, as a person, like for me, video games are still essentially escapism for me. So I don't know if I could get into that. You know what I mean? Like I'm well, going to play a video game. Like let me quest and find some coins. You know? Yeah. But I think that this game 
so it's about you you can play it in one sitting and i would encourage you to play it in one sitting it's about two hours long i would say and so you can get through it in just about the time it takes you to watch a movie and it is incredibly sad and and, uh, very emotional but at the same time the, the storytelling is so powerful in it that i just came away just kind of with you know my jaw on the floor with this game it's just it's so incredible and how each one is so different like each story each person that you learn about is the way that they tell the story is so wildly different like there's another one where he's i think he's like in his 20s maybe and he has this kind of menial labor job at a at a a cannery and in his story you're doing his job where you're basically cutting off fish heads mm-hmm. using a machine but he has this very active imagination and he loves video games so as he's doing this menial job he starts imagining this this fantasy world that he lives in that's very much like a video game so you're doing like on using the controller like on the right stick you're doing cutting off the fish heads. But as he starts to get lost in his own imagination, like this, this world starts to develop on like the left side of the screen and it starts to take over the, the table that has the fish heads on it. And you start playing this game, which is basically just walking through like this courtyard and stuff. That's this developing fantasy world using the left stick. So you're basically doing this menial task in one hand and in the other hand, you're, kind of playing through this like fantasy game and it's just as I was playing I was just like this is so incredible to develop something like this and there's a lot of games like this like Gone Home is another very popular one that you know they they kind of use the the pejorative term walking simulator for these types of games where there's no fail state so you can't lose in the game you just kind of experience the narrative it's, it's on a fairly linear path. It's not like you can make choices or anything like that. It's, you know, very much scripted. Yeah. And I think that some people have a problem with games like that. But for me, uh, it, I, I think that it, it enhances uh, some of these stories. And it, just giving you that level of immersion uh, is, is something that's pretty great. And to your point of it being escapism, I, I will agree for most of the time I do want to play games just to sit back and have fun. And, you know, like the new, the Mario Kart for the switch came out and I've been playing that with my wife and having a lot of fun with that. But I think that there's room for both. And I, I think that escapism is one thing. And then it, yeah, yeah. I, I look at it like I'm sitting down to watch a movie. Yeah. You know, I, mean, just, I, could, I think, I think I can get into those type of things, but just, you telling me that I'm playing a baby in a bathtub and that something bad happens. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I don't know if I'm going to go quite that far. Like, let's keep it at maybe like adult. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like gone, gone home is probably a good middle ground to that. Like yeah. gone home is a very emotional story, but it's not that dark. And if you want to go even darker, you could play something like that dragon cancer. And that's, that's even, that's even heavier. Yeah. But I think like, you know what I mean? Like stuff happening to adults is something sure. that I could be like, okay, they're all adults here. Sure. Comprehend what's going on. Not like, oh, I'm a baby. Cool. How's this going to end? I, I think that if you were to sit down and play What Remains of Edith Finch, I think that you would 
I think you would come away from it being really impressed. I think that you would you would find it to be a, I mean, a very impressive story. I mean, I can tell you right now that I definitely want to check it out just just out of a you know curiosity. It sounds very interesting. Yeah, and I, I think that you'll appreciate the art style and the way in which it tells the story and the varied ways in which it tells the story because it's really creative in how it delivers these different story elements and it's a it's a good story too it's it's really deep and you know it's like even though it's only two hours like i wanted to spend more time there i wanted to explore the house more because there's so many nooks and crannies and there's like hidden passageways and stuff in the house and there's all this really cool stuff it's such a detailed little kind of microcosm that was created in this game but um it was it was interesting because i wanted to talk about the game and i wanted to talk about the sort of blurred lines that we're ha- that that's happening right now in the world of video games comparing it to cinema c- comparing it to movies because we're seeing more and more of these narrative driven games come out that are increasingly sort of blurring the lines between movie and game and i found out i was listening to another podcast this week and i realized and i heard they were talking about there's an article that came out in the atlantic uh last week that said the title of it was video games are better without stories. This was written by Ian Bogost Bogost. And his hypothesis is basically that video games should stick with not telling a story. So the, the, the subtitle of this, the subheading is film, television, literature, all tell them better. So why are video games still obsessed with narrative? And it's it's an interesting article. It's an interesting viewpoint. But I, I got to say that I, I I disagree with almost every point that he makes. He does mention what remains of Edith Finch, and I'm sure that that was kind of the uh, the spark that made him want to write this article. And he talks about other games like Gone Home, and he talks about Bioshock and other really story heavy games. But I, I I just I have to disagree with almost everything well, he says in this. I also want to point something out just in the subheading because I'm sure. You know, when film came out, I'm sure you could have wrote an article that said literature all literature tells it better. So why is film so obsessed with narrative? Yeah. And then uh, when I, television I, came out, they're probably like, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, you can say that for, for television and film. I'm sure that there was numerous people that said that when they first came out and they're first introduced. Right. And that's, and that's the biggest argument to make is that you look at the medium of video games and not only is it, is it so much newer than something like movies or TV, but ju- the technology has just gotten to the point within the last couple decades where you can actually tell a, a, a coherent and meaningful story. I mean, you, one could argue that, that some games for like Nintendo did have a story to them, yeah. and maybe it was a deep story, but by and large games that would come out in the 8-bit era didn't really have the technical prowess to be able to get into a really deep, meaningful story. But now we're finally getting to the point in technology where we can play What Remains of Edith Finch and be transported into this world and it feels real and lived in and we can experience this really heartfelt, tragic story uh, through the eyes of this young woman. And I I think that that's a great thing that we're that we're doing and i think that it's counterintuitive to publish an article kind of saying that 
they shouldn't be doing this because I think that they should be. I think that they need to keep doing this because it's only going to get better. I think stories are going to get deeper. They're going to get more meaningful and they're going to become more cinematic. Now, I don't think that every game should be cinematic. That's not well, no, not what I, I want at all. Have, yeah, you want to have a balance of everything, which is exactly. it's still just like, what is even, because I tried reading this, you know, you, you sent it to me like, hey, I want to talk about this on the show. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to read it. I couldn't finish it. Like, I just don't, I don't understand the point. Like what, if you have a, a new medium, right? And there's people trying things. Why in God's name would you want to essentially hamper experimentation? Because exactly. You have, you have no idea what these people are going to stumble upon when you let artists just have at it, you know, full range, exactly. do whatever what you want to do. You have no idea what's going to come out of it. Yeah. You're going to get some shit. You're going to get some middle of the road stuff, but you might, you know, you might get some incredible stuff where you're like, you know what? I didn't even know that was fucking possible. So maybe like, I just don't understand. Like, you know, I, the first thing that I thought when I opened this up and I'm just like, you have that many words for this. Like you sat down and wrote this many paragraphs. Yeah. And a lot of the articles talk about games like Bioshock that use audio logs and things like that, that, that don't aid in, I think that what he's saying is by video games, trying to incorporate stories that they're, that they, they themselves are hampering the gameplay of, of the game itself. And again, that's something that I completely disagree with. A lot of games these days use supplemental information to add to the story where it's a completely optional thing. You get, you know, you find log files in a game or audio recordings or something like that. And they're optional. The player can listen to them if they want a more enriched experience, or they can decide that to not listen to them all or or listen to them later and continue, continue with the main progression of the storyline. And I think all of that stuff is great because in a lot of ways, I feel like that adds another dimension to a narrative that a movie can't do. A movie is you sit down, you watch it and it goes from point A to point B, you know, typically you have your three act structure and that's it. But with a video game, you can add these extra layers and pieces to it that help develop the game world in ways that movies can't do. I'm not saying that one medium is better than the other, of course, but it's just different. And I think that a lot of these developers are coming up with different ways in creating these worlds. And I I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think that any one medium is better or worse than another. Because you're going to start seeing them melt together with the advent of virtual reality oh yeah and vr is just it's a whole new that's a whole new thing too like i don't i can't recall if the article touches on that at all but i can't wait for that too it's like you know in a couple years video games film television and literature i'll tell them better so why are virtual realities yeah it's just like i mean come on like i don't understand why you could shit on new media like that like i i mean i guess that is sort of hypocritical for me to say, because I think that some things in new media, like Vine, for instance, like when Vine came out, I was just like, come on, that's stupid. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I was the same way too. And then I saw a decent amount of Vines, you know, some good Vines. That's what I'm saying, where you kind of, you're like, you know what? There's going to be shit. It's like, right. And I get, it, yeah. There's and gonna I get, sh- it's going to be middle of the road stuff. And there's just going to be some stuff where you're like, damn, that's impressive. You know, 
to be able to do, you know, in the confines of Vine, to be able to, to grab me like that. There was, yeah. I mean, I, I, it kind of sucks that Vine's gone because I remember when it was in its last days that I saw some post that I can't even remember the site that was like a collection of some of the best Vines. And some of them I was just like blown away with. Well, that's was... the new Kentucky Aldi movie, the Silvio. That's that's one of Vine oh, yeah. series. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, he just did Vines. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just I got to disagree with this stuff. And there was this one this one part where he says, uh, quote, are the resulting interactive stories really interactive when all the player does is assemble something from parts? Are they really stories when they when they are really environments? Are they really stories when they are really environments? I don't understand that. And most of all, are they better stories than the more popular and proven ones in cinema, on television, and in books? On this measure, alas, the best interactive stories are still worse than middling books and films. That I completely disagree with. I don't understand how you can possibly say that the best interactive stories are still worse than middling books and films. Yeah. Like, to me, that's utterly ridiculous. And that just shows that you don't have... I just I don't think enough seen... grasp on either medium to. I just I don't think that then you know I gotta wonder how many middling films has he seen? Exactly. Because middling films are fucking tedious. Because you know what? I can't do shit. At least when I'm playing a game, I'm I'm engaging with something. Right. If it's a middling film, I'm just sitting there going, Jesus Christ, when is this over? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I think I think in the end, I just with video games there's more immersion there. And I think that a lot of developers capitalize on that immersion. I'm playing, when I'm playing a video game, I'm playing as the central character. I'm interacting with the environment. And while the story may be predefined, it feels like it's my story. I feel like I'm telling the story, even though it's all laid out ahead of time, it feels personal to me. And I think that that's one thing that video games can do that a lot of movies can't do. And I think that that's something that they need to continue to develop and, and make, uh, make some really great stories out of it. So let us know what you think. Send us an email podcast at filmpulse.net. Let, let us know your thoughts on the blending of cinema and video game. What you think, Kevin, what have you been watching this week? Uh, a bunch of, a bunch of uh, short films, pretty much all short films. That's like your thing now. You, soon you're just not going to watch any features at all. I mean, you're just going to be short film there. Kevin. Now, okay, I tried I tried watching some stuff on Fandor. Fandor doesn't work for me right now. So I'm in the process of trying to figure out what the fuck's wrong with Fandor. You know, that's, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I come up against. That I'm like, I'm going to sit down and do. That's why I'm kind, of, I'm kind of steering towards the short films now. Where I know that they're going to be, okay, it's going to be eight minutes. And I'm going to just get in and get out move on with my life none of this shit where i jump on fandor and i try and watch a movie i get you know an hour and 30 minutes into the damn thing and then the last 10 minutes you know what it takes 55 minutes to try and watch that shit because of buffering and whatnot mm-hmm. i don't have time for that i can't do I, it i feel your pain i feel your pain one that i uh checked out here is i think this is up your alley and i actually wanted to text you and tell you to watch it it's a short film on no budge called White and Lazy, right? This is a 19-minute short film shot on 16 millimeter. 
So it's got the look for you. Yeah. You're going to love the look. I love, I love me some 16 millimeter. Okay. Now let me tell you that it takes place in 1991. All right. So I'm already on board, so you, you can stop there, stuff. but go ahead and continue. So it is a young guy. It's the first of the month. So he's going around to all of his college roommates trying to collect that rent money. But as you can guess from the title of the film, White and Lazy, he has trouble. Oh, yeah, I did. I read about this. He can't get it. He can't get the money. All of his all of his roommates are eccentrics, and they're just not having it. They either don't know that it's... They're contesting the fact that it's the first of the month because they're going off of Gregorian calendars. Or there's another guy where he's just like, no, I'm not going to do it because he's, he's built up a whole story and everything. He's He's... He's gone deep into thought as to whether or not he should pay rent for this house to his landlord. And uh, the main character, who is uh, also the the director, James Rund, uh, he kind of plays it like uh, it, it felt really, really familiar to me. He, he kind of plays it like a Kentucky Audley character where he's kind of like, you know, the mumbling kind of mm-hmm. quiet. And he's Very not timid, really, yeah. Yeah, not really forcing the issue type deal. It feels like, I mean... You could essentially switch it out with Kentucky Audley, and it would be the same movie, I think. But it is, it's, uh, there's a lot of what I, I, I would say promise there with the, the filmmaking style. But at the same time, it's kind of, it's kind of light, but there's, there's not a lot to do within the confines of the, uh, the narrative that they have going on there. It's definitely worth a look. It's a good time. It's just, you know, it doesn't it doesn't elevate beyond that. Okay, and that's it's definitely white. Worth a look. It's called White and Lazy. It's on No Budge, so you can check it out there. I'll start off with a biggie. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Oh shit! No Budge so, straight into Marvel. Yeah, so this one for me one upped the original in almost every way. Uh, I liked the action more. I thought it was way funnier. I was laughing a lot, significantly more this time around. I thought that bringing in Kurt Russell as Chris Pratt's dad was awesome. It was a, a brilliant casting choice. Uh, it just, it worked so well. And Kurt Russell's just, man, he's just so awesome. <laughs> I just love Kurt Russell so much. Uh, and overall, it's just a great, great uh, entry in the Marvel pantheon. I think you will, even though you were lukewarm on the original one i think that you'll you'll like this one because it's it's just a good time it's like one of these movies where i feel like it's hard not to like it yeah because the characters are interesting and the dialogue is very snappy and very funny i think it's a lot funnier than than the first one uh there was some you know the the whole baby Groot thing was i didn't find it to be overused i wasn't as on board as everyone else with it but How many times does he say I'm Groot? Actually, not a lot. Not nearly as much as the first because, one. Now, is that because they restrain themselves or because he he hasn't learned to speak yet? No, he, he can speak. Okay. Uh, but he's just not in it that. He's not in it as much. There's, uh, there's one point where the story kind of splits into two. And you have, so you have two kind of concurrent plot lines that are happening at once. And one of those plot lines involves Rocket and Groot and uh, Yondo, which is um, the Michael Rooker's character, which yeah. he gets more screen time in this, which I was, because he, he was such an awesome character. He was one of my favorite characters in the first one. And he gets a lot more screen time in this. So I was 
very, very happy to see that the, the story actually involves him quite a bit, but yeah, yeah Groot, I guess he, he's not in it as much. He doesn't do as much cause he is a baby. So he just kind of hangs, hangs around and they have to kind of babysit him a lot, but he doesn't say it nearly as much as in the original one. Goodness. They they definitely restrain themselves with it. He still says it maybe half a dozen times, but it's not that bad. The, the in fact the most interaction you see with Baby Groot is in the um, trailer, like the whole button thing where where Rocket's telling him not to press the button and trying to you know I'm talking. Did you see the trailer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know what I'm talking about. Uh, great movie overall. I had a really really great time with it. Highly recommend checking it out in the theater because it's definitely one of these theater movies. I just love that it kind of plays with the whole 70s space opera vibe without directly ripping off of Star Wars. Like, it's not a Star Wars parody or anything like that. It feels, but but it still has that kind of 70s vibe, you know, with the soundtrack and everything. Yeah. But uh, really, yeah, really good time. Lots of crazy cameos and stuff in it. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's in it, which I... That was a surprise, mm. but uh, yeah, I would re- I would definitely recommend checking out Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I mean, especially if you even mildly liked the first one, I think that you'll find this one to be uh, much more satisfying. I'm so surprised that the woman from the uh, <laughs> the American Independent Film Sabbatical she's in Guardians of the Galaxy. Who is she? Rhoda Griffiths plays uh, Sneaper Madame. I don't know who that is. In there. What what what's the character? Sneeper Madame. I do not recognize her in this movie. I, I have no idea. She's completely covered in gold. Could could be, but I, yeah, I don't know. Yes, I thought that was interesting to go down through and be like, is that that's the woman from Sabbatical? I didn't realize she's, that Rob Zombie was in it either. Like I didn't recognize him. He's an unseen. Well, I mean, his name is Unseen. So do you? <laughs> Do you probably, see him? Yeah, yeah, you probably don't even see him. There's a lot of Ravagers in it. There's a whole bunch of Ravagers. So he's one of the unseen ones. He's probably covered in makeup too. Well, most of them are. He probably just yells something from out of the frame. David Hasselhoff's in it, and he plays himself. Are you serious? Yeah, it's only for a second though, so it's not that bad. But I still could have done without it. It was a joke that didn't really work for me. Yeah, it sounds awful. Stop that. Stop doing stuff it's, like that. Um, it's Come just, on. it's not, it's nothing big. It's just like a second. So it doesn't matter. It's <clears> a throwaway <throat> thing. Another short film that I saw is Jelly Wolf. Oh, Jelly Wolf. Jelly Wolf. This is directed by Alma Harrell, mm-hmm. who you, you might Love know. Love True. Yeah. Bombay yeah. Beach. Yeah. So um, this is, this is some sort of, uh, project in like the the tribeca film festival where like a director was teamed up with a brand mm-hmm. right and they had to come up with a short film and i guess her brand was chanel yes so she came up with a short film with uh, lisa bonnet and kiersey clemens and number one right off the bat a fantastic color palette has a great look to it and you're just you're not 100 percent sure what what's going on where they're going with it and everything uh but there's there's jellyfish involved and drinking electricity, and I guess I guess just a, essentially having like a vision maybe. And when that 
portion of the film, but like when it when it kicks over to her drinking the electricity and it kicks into like the vision thing and just goes full on visual. I mean, damn, does it look good? It's just you got the neon stuff going on, you got all these props. It's just something else. I like so that I, uh Chris Upson on Letterboxd his review says lemonade blood dragon dlc which i appreciate that very much that's a video game reference for you kevin <laughs> i don't know what any of that means except for the lemonade part i guess is beyonce there was a standalone know. dlc for far cry 3 called okay. blood dragon that okay. it, everything down. it made the game the game took place in the 80s and it was this crazy neon sci-fi laser grid version of the future and it was just it was awesome it had great okay. style huh well jelly wolf i would definitely check out jelly wolf yeah i didn't know this this was available so i'm i'll definitely check I, it out yeah i found this through um shadow okay their uh their blog yeah i'm definitely gonna give this a look uh love true her latest documentary is available on netflix now too i believe oh is it yeah okay nice and i would i would yeah i would definitely recommend that one that one's definitely worth a look i enjoyed it quite a bit i saw it at tribeca last year all right uh i saw a dark song this was released i believe last week on vod it's a horror Mm -hmm. film from liam gavin and it stars Catherine walker and steve orham the guy from sightseers Basically, the premise is this woman hires an uh, an occultist in order to do a ritual in order to evoke some dark entities in order for her to get revenge on some people that wronged her. I won't say what that entails, but the uh, the movie is it's a very slow burn horror film that is basically these two the two leads held up in this farmhouse over the course of what appears to be months doing these rituals these different rituals over and over and over again and slowly uh things start to go terribly wrong uh there's injuries there's uh sicknesses and things don't go as planned at all they, they never do and they never do Unlike another evil, the the finale on this one is pretty batshit. It is really out there, and I I liked it tremendously. I think it was a really really interesting way to conclude the film, because with this one you're never really sure that what they're doing is is real. Like you you're never sure that this guy really knows what he's doing. Like he seems to know what what these rituals are, but whether or not they're actually working, you have no idea. Aside from a few small things here and there that you're not even sure if, if that could be in her head, you just don't really know. And then eventually you find out, and it's it's yeah. pretty crazy. Uh, really, this goes back to what I said in Another Evil, where one of the most interesting things about it was the procedure of everything. How well, The way that they do it is so she rents this farmhouse, and it's got all these rooms in it. And each room is like a different ritual. So they set up all these different rituals in order to evoke this uh, being. And most of the movie is them 
doing the rituals and preparing to do their rituals, like getting things set up. And, and then it also kind of gets into the relationship that they have because she doesn't know him at all when she hires him. She's, he's just a dude that she hires. And Mm -hmm. because they have to spend so much time together, they start to get to know each other and you start to learn their backstories and all of this stuff. And it's just really interesting. I, I really enjoyed it. I would, I would definitely recommend it. IFC Midnight put it out. Uh, it's called a dark song. Yeah, I think you would. I think you would like it. It's it's uh, definitely the kind of creepiness that I that you that you would like in a horror movie. I'm looking forward. Another short film that I saw was a animated film called Double King. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, apparently, this was came out. I guess a, not too long ago. At the beginning of April on YouTube. This is from an animator named Felix Colgrave, which apparently he has kind of like a somewhat of a following. And this is the first time I've ever seen one of his films, mostly because I, I kind of saw Double King pop up on Letterboxd a couple times here and there. And I'm just like, I guess I should give this a check. Check it out. You know, it's free. It's right there on the YouTubes. I don't have to pay any money. I don't have to leave this my seat. I can just check it out right now. Um, Number one, it is right up my alley, artistry-wise. Like, the artwork is just, I love it. I absolutely love it. So, essentially, it could have been anything with that artwork, and I would have loved it, okay? Second, the animation is great. It's very fluid. The music's great. The So, the story is there's this uh, this guy. He's a king, but being a king isn't enough for him. So, he essentially just goes around killing anyone that has a crown because he wants to collect all the crowns he needs to be the king of everything so he's just destroying everyone that has a crown if he sees a crown he's going to kill you and he's going to take that crown okay that's what he does he wants to be a double king it's not enough for him to just be king he wants to be double king and then triple king and then quadruple king he just wants to level up constantly so it has uh it's got a, a, a fair amount of humor in there, but it's also got some uh, some violence, obviously, because if you're taking crowns from people that aren't willing to give them up, you're going to have to kill them. And uh, they don't shy away from that. And it's just the the characters, these, these animals, these kings, it's just, it has essentially everything that I'm looking for and everything that I want to, it just really hit the spot. And it's just fantastic. It's one of my favorite things that I've seen this year. Oh, wow. All right. So check, check it that out. out. I think you'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it's about 10 minutes. I'll definitely give it a look. Yeah. And this is on YouTube? On YouTube. On his his channel. His, what, I guess, right? Channel? YouTube channels? Yeah, that's, that's what it's called. <laughs> I got it. I'm hip. <laughs> I know what's going on. Uh, I saw a movie called Like Me. This premiered at South by Southwest this year, and then it just recently screened at the Overlook Film Festival. I'm not sure if you are familiar with this one, Kevin, but it's like uh, the Overlook Film Festival takes place in the hotel that... Yeah. Um, it's not the Stanley Film Festival. It's actually different. The Overlook Hotel is the other hotel that is was... Uh, one of them is like where the... Shining the book took place, and then the other one was like where they shot the movie, I think. Yeah, something like that. This one it was a, horror, a new horror film festival, and I looked at the lineup 
And I don't know if I can't remember if we reported on the lineup or not, but it was a really impressive lineup. Anyway, this screen there, this is directed by Robert Mockler. This is his first movie. So he wrote, directed, edited, and produced it. And we actually reported on this way back in March of 2013. It was a Kickstart Sunday pick. And this is back when it was originally a short film. Like he was pitching it as a short film on Indiegogo and it got enough traction that it was, he was able to then develop it into a feature and uh, glass eye picks helped produce it. And that's, that's uh, Larry Fessenden's company mm-hmm. and Larry Fessenden is in this, which uh, I realized after watching this, that I saw th- three movies with Larry Fessenden in, in a matter of two days. So I saw a lot of uh, Fessenden lately, which I'm not complaining about. That's, he's it's always a welcome. He's always a welcome addition in any movie. Kind of in everything too. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So this movie is about this girl named Kaya who is obsessed with being popular on YouTube. So she has like she creates a YouTube channel. She makes this video of her sort of terrorizing this gas station attendant who's actually played by Jeremy Gardner, the director of The Battery. Mm-hmm. And that video garners millions of uh, views on YouTube. So she kind of wants to continue doing this and one-upping her, her game. And she sort of goes on this a uh, little bit of a crime spree. And the film just kind of follows her as she goes on this crime spree she ends up kidnapping a hotel manager that's played by larry fessenden ties him to a bed and forces him to eat candy until he vomits everywhere and then takes him on a road trip and basically the movie is just about how uh how fame hungry young people are when it comes to social media and the kind of dangers that that could uh, result in Nothing we haven't seen before. The The character development's pretty slim in this, too. Like, I felt like all the... Like, especially Kaya, the main character, I felt like she was a little bit underdeveloped. But the thing that this movie really has going for it is the visuals. Like, the look of this movie is is really impressive. And that was one of the things that drew me to it back when we were um, picking it as our Kickstarter Sunday uh, pick back then. It is the The visuals were just so strong like everything is just drenched in color everything is so bright and vibrant and like neon it's like uh it's like a cooler version of uh only god forgives or something but the so the visuals really impressed me there was a scene at the beginning where he's using i mean i don't know if he just did it if it was a camera trick or if he actually did have the rig where the room looks like it's spinning like upside down Mm -hmm. And that looked really awesome. And he uses a lot of really kind of surreal nightmare imagery throughout the movie. Like there's just random cutaways to like kind of gross, weird stuff. And he uses like animation in it. And uh, in my review, I have a review up on the site for this. I, I kind of described it as a natural born killers, but for the digital age. Gotcha. So it had that kind of vibe to it, you know, like not not the same tone necessarily. And then the, the plot was certainly different, but just the look like pure visuals. Uh, it reminded me of natural born killers with the random cutaways and stuff like that. So 
I would give it uh, probably a light recommend. I think that this is an impressive debut for somebody who this is their first project. The performances were were fine. The I just thought that it was a, a bit lacking in plot and character development, but visuals it was on point. So again, that's like me. That's not out yet. It's still on a festival run. So just keep an eye out for it. I'm not sure what the release status is of that just yet. Yeah. It's not for you. I'll tell you that. Okay. You're clear. Yeah. That shit in mind. Uh, that's all I got. Okay. That's all I got too. So let's move on. Talk about some new releases next week. May 10th, we have Manifesto. That's the one with Kate Blanchett where she plays 13 different characters. I saw this at Tribeca. I didn't actually get to re- uh, writing a review for this one. I might write a review for it when it uh, comes out next week. I, I don't know really what to say about it. It's It began as an, an art installation, and as mm-hmm. such, it doesn't really feel like a movie. It just feels like different segments that are kind of so sewn together. Yeah. They just kind of forced it. It's really. That's what it, I was kind of thinking when I when I read about it and stuff. I was like, it "Seems like you just forced this into theaters." Right. And that's what it felt like to me. Um, obviously, Kate Blanchett does an amazing job. Every character that she plays is wildly different than the last in this movie, and uh, she plays a dude in one of them too. She plays a guy, and it's like very very convincing. And so she's phenomenal. I mean, like it's award worthy performances from her the the segments themselves are sometimes very funny sometimes very interesting and sometimes a little dull um Mm -hmm. and the other thing that's really strong is the music uh i really enjoyed the music in this the score felt like something that warp records would put out it's got this kind of uh harsh like industrial electronic sound to it like uh like a not Aphex Twin, maybe like a little, yeah, maybe Aphex Twin. But uh, what's there was like another band, Square Pusher, maybe a little Square Pusher. But there's another band too that Warp has. It's like Autiker or something. Autiker, Aud- yeah, yeah. Like maybe something like that. But it's it's fantastic. Uh, also visually, this this movie is amazing it's got some really amazing cinematography in it so it's got a lot going for it (laughs) just don't expect there to be any kind of decent narrative going on because it's not really really all it is is Cate Blanchett playing different characters uh reciting the manifesto of different artists that's pretty much what it is yeah Yeah. so I I don't know like like predicting whether or not you would like this like Something like this could really go either way for you, I think. Yeah. I mean, this, it sounds like I would hate it. It sounds awful to me. It's, but I don't know. I could be surprised. I don't know. I don't know. I, I would be curious to hear, your, to hear your thoughts on it. Maybe, I don't know if this is, I don't think it's getting a VOD release next week. Maybe if it is, we can uh, talk about it on the show. All right. We also have The Drowning. Mm-hmm. Not, not, uh, this one doesn't look great. It's with Julie Styles, mm-hmm. I think. It's like a thriller. We got King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, the new Guy Ritchie one. Stay tuned to Ryan Watches a Movie this week. We'll be talking about that. Uh, Snatched, (laughs) the new Amy Schumer, Goldie Hawn 
comedy mm-hmm. about two crazy women getting kidnapped and I don't know where they go. Somewhere in South America, maybe? Yeah. That's a pass for me. Yeah, hard pass. Anything with fucking Amy Schumer. God. <laughs> Not a fan? Not a fan of the Schum? Oh, I hate her comedy so much. The the funny thing about Amy Schumer is she's one of those comedians that I tried to like I tried to force myself to like her. Like, I got to board this train. Got to get on this Schumer train. Which I mean that it seemed like she was fucking everywhere and now she's nowhere. Well, I don't know if her show is coming back or what. Even but even like this movie, I never fucking heard of this movie. Really? It's just kind of like I saw a bunch of trailers for it. Oh really? Yeah, okay. it's. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm not interested in it, but the trailer certainly didn't do it for me. We also have the wall. Absolutely anything, which is that Simon Pegg one, where I don't know what it is. He's like, he's able to say anything, and it'll happen, or something like that. Is that what it is? His career is going straight down the toilet. I, some of these Simon Pegg movies, I'm just like, what? What? Oh, that's right. It's it's the one that's directed by Terry Jones. Well, it's funny because, like, the, again, one poster, you're like, oh, okay, it's got Terry Jones, John Cleese. Uh, there's so many people involved with this. Okay. And then there's the other poster where it's, like, his glowing hand with a dog that has glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like it's a straight-to-DVD Disney Channel movie, maybe. I'm so confused. This is the last movie role of Robin Williams. He does the voice of the dog. Now, doesn't it seem like there's been like six movies that have come out and claimed that? This is this is the actual one though. Okay. Well, this came out this this came out over in the UK like a long time ago. This movie's been yeah, okay. this thing's funny. been in the can forever. But I think that it wasn't very good, and they just didn't. I yeah, think it's, it's just getting dumped into theaters now just to make some money. Oh God. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Low Riders, uh, Hounds of Love, which is one that I talked about in my Tribeca coverage. I would recommend checking this one out. This is a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I don't know how many reviews that is, but it's still really impressive. This was this is definitely worth a look. Yeah, I, w- I want to see this one. Yeah, this one looks uh, interesting. Folk Hero and Funny Guy. This is uh, the comedy with Karpovsky. Yeah, Alex Karpovsky. Yeah, another guy. It's the guy Who's from the, uh, Everybody Wants Some. I can't remember his name, but this looks decent. Looks uh looks mildly funny. Uh Violet. Wyatt Russell. Yeah. Violet. This is one that I'm definitely interested in. This is a uh, about this one. Yeah, it's about a kid who gets assaulted. Or no, his, like his best friend gets assaulted, but they don't do anything to him, and he's trying to figure out why they didn't attack him. Looks looks like sort of a coming of age story, but uh, looks really good. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see that one. Dead Awake, not too sure what that is. The Wedding Plan, I think that's a uh, I want to say it's an Israeli romantic comedy, maybe. Okay. Israeli rom com. Yeah. Sure. Why not? 30 days, one wedding, no groom. The wedding plan. You gotta find yourself a groom. I think that played yeah. Tribeca too, but I was like, nope. Track Town. This is a another kind of coming-of-age comedy about a track star. The interesting thing about this one is that it's actually written, directed, and stars 
an actual track star who was oh, in the Olymp- yeah. who was like I don't know if she was in the Olympics or qu- like qualifying yeah. to be in the Olympics. So that's kind of interesting, but I I looked at the trailer and it's that doesn't do it for me. Like I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be a comedy or not from the trailer. Like I legitimately, it wasn't like it was jokes that weren't landing, but it was like, is it supposed to be funny or is it supposed to be sincere? I can't tell at all. Uh, whiskey galore. This is one with uh, What's the sound of that. Yeah, well, it doesn't look great. It's. Mm. It's with Eddie Izzard, and it's like based on based on a true story. Yeah, it, but I think it was like a play or something, maybe, or maybe a book. Either way, it actually doesn't look that interesting to me. That's pretty much it. Yeah. VOD next week, we have Black Sight Delta coming out on May 9th. That has kind of a cool poster, but I checked out the trailer and it looks really bad. Track Town comes out on the 12th, as does Folk Hero and Funny Guy. Okay. All right. So maybe we'll uh, check that out next week on the show. Folk Hero and Funny Guy. The one guy is a folk singer. The other guy is a comedian. They decide to go on tour together. It's a stupid title. It is a really bad title. I will agree with that. Terrible. Terrible. All right. Next week on Blu-ray, this is for Tuesday, May 9th. Fifty Shades Darker. Let's get darker. Watch out. Gonna be whips and whatnot. I I haven't seen either of them, and I really don't know too much about what happens, but I would like to imagine it gets really fucking dark, like a Serbian film dark. Damn. It'd be crazy if they took that route. You that's what, what I'm saying. Like, it, like if I went, if I, like on a whim or whatever, I decided to just watch one of these, and it was like that, <laughs> just because you know there's so much mainstream appeal to this. That uh, would be this series. That would be, that would. I'd be yeah. rethinking everything in society. Yeah, because you'd be thinking like, why are all these, all these middle-aged women are really into this book? <laughs> Jesus, what, what's going He's beheading on? people and having sex with their corpses. It's <laughs> fucking terrible. All right, what else do we got here? Brain Damage from 1988 is coming out on Arrow Blu-ray. Please. I've never seen that. I got not either, but I just imagine that it's great. Yeah. Well, remember, we were going to, when we did our Halloween episode, we were going to, that was going to be one of the ones that we watched. Yeah, I've been wanting to see this one for quite some time. Yeah, it's definitely something that I want to take off my list of shame. Heat from 1995 is getting a release on Blu-ray. This is the director's definitive edition remastered. So looks like that's going to be the penultimate version of Heat. If you want to check that out. Man, it's been so many years since I've seen that movie. I got to, I should pick that up. It should be the end all be all, not the penultimate. It should be the end all be all. End all be all version. Yeah. Serial Mom collector's edition comes out on Blu-ray. That's right up your alley, right? Oh yeah. You big fan of Serial Mom? Love Serial Mom. One thing I know about you. Yep, love cereal mom. <laughs> I saw part of it. I saw part of it when I was little. When it first came out, I saw part of it and it scared me. There's a couple facets to your personality, and I know that that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> cereal mom love. I mean, it's not like my favorite movie or anything. It's not even my favorite John Waters movie, but I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of cereal mom. I think it's pretty funny. The she, image that I have of you is that it is a big part of your life and it is your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
It's not. I'm sorry. I like the movie, but it's not a big part of my life. Damn it. I don't know you. No. No. The 1998 version of Psycho is coming out. That's the Gus Van Zant one. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but it's coming out. Maybe we should just all agree that that never happened. Yeah. Uh, what else do we got here? Mm, a street cat named Bob. That's coming out. Okay. That's pretty much it. We're we're getting re-releases of the Planet of the Apes movies, the new ones, just because the the new ones coming out soon. Got a ton of anime, including free. Iwatobi Swim Club. Okay. So that's that looks uh, incredibly homoerotic. Could be a good time. Update on One Punch Man. I finished the first season, and it's fantastic. It ends amazingly. But now the shitty thing is there is only one season. So this, mm-hmm. the second they're they're in the process of making the second season, but it's not out yet. So I ended up searching for the the next two volumes of the manga. Cause they're up to volume 11 on the manga. And I found this really awesome Japanese bookstore near my apartment yesterday. Yeah. It's called Kino Kunya yeah. and it's huge. It's got like a cafe in it and everything giant Japanese bookstore. They got so much cool shit in there. It's right by Bryant park. If you're interested. Okay. Right. I just, I want to give an update here. I'm going to give a little bit more information about a street cat named Bob. Um, so this is about the recovering drug addict whose life has turned around when he when he befriends this stray cat named Bob, right? So I'm like, oh, who's directing this sucker? It's the guy that directed Turner and Hooch. Oh. And Stop or my mom will shoot the Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty. And Tomorrow Never Dies. It's the guy that directed Tomorrow Never Dies. All right. James Bond, Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Now he's doing a street cat named Bob. So... Something tells me that that movie is probably better than the title and the cover would suggest. Maybe. I don't know. I just have a weird feeling that it's better than that. Because when I see a street cat named Bob, the only thing I can think of is a talking cat. Like, that's what I think of when I see that. And I know it has to be better than that. It would be great to be like at the end of the year, all the year end list. Everyone's like a street <laughs> cat named Bob. And we're just sitting there like, oh, what? Indie pick of the miss? week, a street cat named Bob. Roger Spottiswood is back. Um, we were talking about Simon Pegg and his recent choices in movies and a fantastic fear of everything is coming out on Blu-ray as well. <laughs> now I Thank saw you. a fantastic fear of everything. And I could not believe what I was watching. It is so awful. You're going to tell me that he's in a street cat named Bob. That'd be funny. I bet a street cat named Bob is better than the fantastic fear of everything. I wouldn't be surprised. Although he does, uh, the cat's wearing a dumb little sweater in the the thing. And it it looks like his tail is incredibly long. Just the way that it's proportioned in the cover. Hmm. Anyway, what do we have on Criterion next week? Uh, we have one, and that is the Blu-ray release of Ackerman's Sheen Dealman, which might be like one of the best movies ever made, or definitely, you know, one of the most important films ever. Finally getting that Blu-ray. I, I swear Just to God like, that they... I, f- I feel like every week 
Criterion is releasing a new version of Gene Dealman. Like, I, I don't I, understand. I feel like I, I just know. keep seeing this movie pop up. I know. And I thought the same thing, too. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we already had a Blu-ray of this. But apparently not. I don't know. Apparently not. But it seems like I've, I've announced this title, you know, five or six times now over the course of our 252 podcast. Yeah, it's weird. Everything comes back to Two Broke Girls and Gene Dealman. That's right. That's that's our through lines. <laughs> <laughs> rerun. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We will see you next week.